You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, where everything began. And we'll look at the fundamentals of the Christian life, the Christian walk, individually and as a church of believers. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to reflect and realize that there are times that I get some things fundamentally wrong. I can honestly remember my first time at bat as I played something they called small fry. They'd probably not allow you to call it that for being somehow uh, an ego buster for the boys and girls. But we called it small fry. There wasn't a coach pitching. There was a little machine that pitched. And, and I so wanted to hit the ball. I so wanted to get a base hit. I'd watch games on TV. I'd envision myself walking around the bases as the fans were cheering loudly. I swung with everything I had, all 30 pounds of me probably at the time. I don't remember where the ball went, but I remember taking off running. I run with every bit of energy that I had, and as I began running down the bases or down the base, I could hear people cheering. Mainly it was my mom, and they were cheering go, and they were cheering stop, and I wasn't sure what, but I just kept going until I crossed third base, lickety-split, and the third base coach told me I was supposed to go to first and not third. Are you laughing at it? I saw you round first base pull a hammy one day like they killed you. Sometimes we get things fundamentally wrong. I had the best of intentions. I swung with everything I had. I did the very best I could. But the fundamentals just weren't right. This morning I want to think about, for just a few moments, a few of the things that we sometimes as believers get fundamentally wrong. And even as a church we get fundamentally wrong. It's, it's always interesting as I get to go and, and travel and preach in places you can go into a church and, and you can usually tell very quickly by looking at their bulletin or by looking at their bulletin board and, and things like that. What's going on? What is their mindset of the church? I, I've got to tell you a story. I, I was preaching last, um, I think it was last August, a revival. And I got there on Sunday night to begin the revival. And I pulled into the parking lot and I've never seen a more beautifully manicured and landscaped yard. I mean to tell you, the grass looked like Augusta on the 18th green. I mean, it was beautiful. There wasn't a cigarette butt in the yard. There wasn't a piece of trash. It was absolutely looked like Biltmore. In the middle of the parking lot was a large sign that said, No Trespassing. Over on the side of the yard was a sign that said, No Skateboarders. Violators will be prosecuted. Under that was a sign with a bicycle and a big slash through it. And they had signs all over the yard. Well, I couldn't help myself. And I was preaching that night a message on evangelism. And I said, folks, there's not but a few people welcome in your church. If they come by bicycle or skateboard, you don't want them. And you know, you don't want them walking on the grass. You don't want them picking the daisies. And man alive, they didn't really like that. Uh, coincidentally, their pastor had been there 17 years and he left right after I did revival. To this day, I asked him if I was at fault for that. But at the end of the day, uh, looking at that, looking back, there, the church, that particular church was consumed with the beauty of the building. 
misplaced priorities, fundamentally wrong. I've just shared a couple of things here in my little outline this morning that I want us to think about. Fundamentally wrong. What do we get as a church sometimes? Number one, if we become self-centered saints. Dying churches today are filled with self-centered saints. Everything revolves around me. I want the music to cater to me. I want the, the temperature to cater to me. I want the decor to cater to me. I want the parking lot to cater to me. I want the programs to cater to me. Everything needs to cater to me. In fact, sometimes people will come to me and say, Preacher, we've been looking for a church that will meet our needs and we think we found one. And it just eats at me instantly. And I think ultimately we're not to look for a church to meet our needs. We're to look for a church that we can plug into to meet the needs of others and to carry the gospel into a lost and dying world. If it becomes about us, sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to join your church because I like it better than every other church I've visited. In other words, you do it the way I want you to do it, so I'm happy here. But God forbid anything ever goes against the way I want it. Self-centered saints, dying churches come from that. Secondly, set in the way saints, set in their ways, saints. And um, certainly... We all have our own tastes and our likes and our, uh, all those kind of things. But when we become so set in our ways that literally our theme becomes we shall not be moved, then it becomes very, very dangerous when change becomes the enemy. Now let me just say to you, many times young preachers especially will think I need to go into a church and change everything. I'll have young preachers call me and they'll say I'm, I'm going to accept my first church and I'm moving in next week and I begin and boy I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to change everything. And I'm thinking, buddy, you won't be there long if I know Baptist people at all. Listen, it's very important. We don't change things just for the sake of change. Only when we need to change things to become more aligned with the Scriptures. And then thirdly, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, it just happens. Not only do we have self-centered saints and set in their way saints, we can become satisfied saints. You know, I'm kind of comfortable. I like things the way they are. Uh, things are kind of going smoothly and I, I just assume they not change. I like the status quo. May I say to you, there is no such thing as neutral in the church. You're either moving forward or you are moving backwards. Can I share my heart with you this morning? Okay, thank you. One, me, me and Larry. Larry, brother. My biggest fear on July the 16th, 2017, as the pastor of this church, is if I ever get to the point that I can no longer motivate you to move forward. Sometimes people will say to me, Preacher... Are you going to leave? I understand there's all kind of rumors out there. There has been for 17 years. I've never had one month here that somebody hadn't thought I was going to leave. You know, every time I pulled a trailer in the yard, they think I was pulling it up to load up furniture, you know. I want to share very clearly with you, because I love you, if I ever get to the point that I, it becomes very clearly that I can no longer motivate you, I can no longer challenge you. I can no longer share, thus saith the Lord, and actually see us moving forward. And I find us either stagnant, dead in the water, or moving backwards. Then not only will I leave, I must leave. You see, a shepherd is responsible for leading the sheep. And if the shepherd can no longer lead the sheep, he's really of no good. So when I think about fundamentally how important it is as a church and as members and, and as believers to say we're, we've got to be moving forward, we've got to be growing, we've got to be uh, getting deeper in the Word and getting more out in the community and all of these kind of things. So be very 
very, very careful not to do like me, and that's head off to the wrong base. Let me give you three things very quickly. And we're going to look at this based on a baseball illustration. How many baseball fans are here? How many soccer fans are here? Commies. I'm just kidding. I, my boys love it when I do that. I'm a baseball person. I understand the sport. I go and I support the soccer. I'm yelling and screaming, and I don't even know what I'm yelling and screaming. I don't know what you're supposed to do. But baseball's pretty simple, right? When you hit the ball, you head which way? And then from that base, you go to... And from second base, you go to... And from third base, you go to... And unless you make it home, it don't count. Right? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. At the end of the game, they don't say they had 28 batters to reach third base. Doesn't matter. You got to get home. Listen, friend. Ultimately, as a believer, our eyes are on home. We're going home. But between now and then, there are some things that we need to be doing. And we need to be doing them fundamentally well. Look with me. Number one. First base is our relationship with the Lord. Now, this may seem very, very simple, but I want you to understand there are many people that try to go clear to second base without ever going to first base. It'll make sense in a moment. Our first step in the Christian walk is becoming a Christian. There are many people out there today that find themselves tuned into K-Love and they say, I like this music. I like the feeling it gives me. I like the thought of being forgiven and, and having a new life. I like all this stuff. So I think I want to be a Christian. So they go by Lifeway with Caleb blaring in their car. And they go into Lifeway and they buy five books on the Christian life. And they begin reading and they begin trying to mimic this. And they begin trying to be a Christian without ever going to first base. And that is their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ was talking to Nicodemus, he didn't say, Nick, go join the church. Nick, be baptized. Nick, read a book. Nick, join up with the group. Nick, surround yourself with other believers. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is first base. Now think about this. Beginning, look with me in the book of Acts. We're at Pentecost, where it all began. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there the Holy Ghost came upon them all. Understand that the church could not be born until the Holy Ghost had indwelt the place. Nor can we serve Christ until we first been indwelt by Christ. Until we first become the place that He makes His abode. Until He comes and moves inside of our hearts and our minds and our lives. Think about our relationship with God. It begins with salvation. It leads to to sanctification. That is our growth in Christ. That is our becoming more like Him, less like the old man. Then there is the surrender. That's when we have purpose in Christ. And then finally, we come to the point that we are living a Spirit-led life. Think about the relationship that we have at first base. It is not about imitating we've seen something that we've seen in the lives of other people. It's not trying to be something that we are not. Have you ever tried to, maybe you've, you've been in a play or some kind of skit or, or you've been an actor. I was once in an off-Broadway play when I was in the five-year kindergarten. I was one of the little, uh, you know, pigs and the three little pigs, you know. Uh, that was way off of Broadway. But let me tell you, I might have dressed up like a pig and I might have snorted like a pig and went oink-oink, but I was no pig. Friend, you can come to church every time the doors are open. You can sit on the front row or the back row, sing every word to every hymn, join every committee 
pity there is get to be the pastor of the church but unless you've been born again you're not truly a believer and there's nothing more miserable than trying to live the Christian life without having the goods without having the goods we've been having some work days out at the camp and Friday Somebody showed up and they had a great big truck and I thought, great. Somebody shows up the great big truck, they're going to get a lot done. I walked over and greeted them, looked in their truck and there was absolutely nothing in the bed of that truck. They said, what do you need me to do? I said, well, you didn't bring any tools. You didn't bring any rakes or shovels. Well, they didn't get out that easy. They just hauled what everybody else was cleaning up. Friend, I wonder when you come to church every week and when you go out in the community every week as a so-called Christian, do you have any goods? Do you have any tools to work with? If you're not indwelling by the Holy Spirit of God then we just need to stop right here and need to take care of that not only in the life of the individual believer but when we look at Pentecost and we look at the first church of Christ nothing would have happened had it not been for the Holy Spirit showing up and doing that which only he can do the Bible says here very clearly that they gladly received his word and were baptized and the same day verse 41 there were added into the church about 3,000 souls Literally, because the Holy Spirit of God showed up, people couldn't help but get saved. You're here today and you say, well, preacher, I'm thinking about getting saved and one day I'm going to make a decision to get saved. Friend, you receive the gift of eternal life when you accept a gift that has been freely given to you. Not when you initiate the conversation with God and say, okay, God, I think I'm ready now. God, I think I've sowed all my wild oats. God, I think I've gotten all the good out of life. I'm getting older now. I want to go to heaven when I die, so I want to get in on this thing of salvation. Friend, that's not how it works when the Holy Spirit comes and one-on-one does business with you. I'm grateful to know that the Holy Spirit still knows us. He still woos us. I remember, and I've shared this many times through the years, but those that have been here a long time remember so many times I would call on Mr. Marshall Tuttle to pray right before I would preach and he was just a country man with an 8th grade education and he'd pray just a a heartfelt prayer and he'd say oh God I pray that you'd finger around that heart nearest to hell. In other words God you come in and tenderize that stony part of that person's life. Holy Spirit you come and do business with that person. Not too long ago I traveled to Winston-Salem to the room where I was saved at Salem Baptist Christian School and I found that room and I went up there and I stood in that place and was just overwhelmed with emotion. And many people would say, well, eight-year-old boy, can you really be saved at eight? Listen, I want to tell you, I remember the place and I remember the occasion. Not everybody has that luxury, but I do. And I remember that day that when I began praying, it wasn't between me and my teacher whose name was Mrs. Goff. She's in heaven now. I just found that out last week. But it wasn't between me and her. It wasn't between me and the other students in the class. But I remember standing there. I understood as best I could as an eight-year-old little boy that this conversation was between me and God and he's the one that initiated it. I was the one receiving him, not the other way around. And I'm grateful for that. First base is our relationship with God. Whether you're the youngest person in this room or the eldest person in this room, how important it is to understand. Now listen, the progression of the bases. As I said, as a little boy, I went to third base and and then I I had to go back to the dugout because I was out. But listen, it's important to understand that we go to first base, but our goal is not just to stay there. Our goal as a believer should not just be, hey, I want to make it to heaven. I want to go to first base and then just turn around and come home. That'd be all there is, friend. He would have raptured us the moment he saved us. But there is a progression 
And I want you to look with me, second base, verse 20, 42. Verse 42 of Acts 2, And they, that is this church, this newly formed early church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, how important it was that they were indoctrinated and they were discipled, and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. There's not much fear in the church anymore, not much awe of the things of God. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and they had all things common. There was great unity. There was great harmony in the church. Listen. And they sold all their possessions and goods, and they parted them to all men as everyone had need. In the early church, there were those that were a little bit more wealthy, those that were impoverished. But at the foot of the cross, the ground was level, and in this early church, they were even. And the Bible says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness. I like this part. And singleness of heart. There was no division. They were praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as shall be saved. Base number two is our relationship with believers. Our relationship with other believers. Now let me stop there. Can you see the confusion when maybe we're trying to witness to our friends and we're saying, hey, you need to come to church with me and you need to come to Sunday school with me and you need to come to our fellowship dinner and you need to come to our youth group, our children's program. And immediately we're trying to get them directed towards second base without ever having gone to first base. It's important to understand the relationship with Christ is first and foremost. But after that relationship is secure, it is important to immediately get plugged into the body of Christ. If you ever have someone say something like this, Well, I am a believer, but I don't need to go to church to believe in Christ. That's like a husband saying, I am married and love my wife, but I don't need to go home and tell her about it. I'm just going to go out and do my own thing. Let me say to you, you're not sitting in a perfect church, nor will you ever find the perfect church. And if you happen to find the perfect church, please don't go there because immediately it will become very imperfect. And the same goes for me. But we understand that it's not about the church. It's about the edification of the believers to come and to be a part of something that's bigger than us. Second base, our relationship with the believers. When we look at this, we wonder how did they have such a good relationship? Now understand, within a few chapters, that relationship would be uh, sketchy and then finally broken because of their self-centeredness. But in this perfect example of unity and harmony, number one, there was powerful worship. There was powerful worship. Friend, listen, we don't come to church on Sunday morning just to check off a box and say, yes, I went to church. I showed up. I attended. There is something intrinsically valuable about being together as the body of Christ and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. May I say to you, it doesn't matter if you're here in Dublin, at White Lake, if you're up in New York in our Hispanic church, if you're in Moldova where they're speaking Romanian, if you're in some other place, when you're praising the Lord, it, there is a bonding effect 
in worship. There is nothing like it. Whenever our kids go off to camp as they have been this week and whenever we're able just to get away from everything and you say, why is it that when the kids come back from camp, they're so on fire? Well, they've been separated from other influences. They've been inundated with the Word of God. But I submit to you that one of the reasons they're so close and one of the reasons they're so tight and I mean they're just oozing with love for one another is because for a solid week they have worshipped together. Amen? But I wonder on Sunday mornings, do we really truly understand that we've come in here to worship together as the body of Christ in oneness? That's why it's not about the style of music or, or how many verses we sing of the hymns or whatever we do. It's about worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Not only though did they have powerful worship, there was a peaceful membership when you read the, the, the second chapter of the book of Acts, you understand that they realized there was something more going on here than what met the eye. There was something bigger than them. I mean, you think about it. Literally, they were selling everything they have. They were abandoning everything for the cause of Christ. They so believed in this thing called the church uh, that they truly uh, were just willing to do nothing that, 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 that would inhibit its growth or inhibit its work. They wanted to have all things common. I love that little phrase, singleness of heart. There was peace within the membership, unity and harmony. When those two things come together, it equals productivity in the church. Let me go ahead and say, the enemy knows he cannot destroy the church. Did you know that? The Bible says, and upon this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if he cannot destroy the church, his only hope is to destroy the productivity of the church, the growth of the church, the furthering of the church. So what can he do? Well, he begins to invade the membership. He begins to divide the membership. He begins to sever the membership. He, he begins to bring in things of, of disunity and discord. By the way, it's interesting to note in the book of Proverbs, the sixth chapter, there are seven things literally that are penned that says God hates these things and all of them are basically one theme and that is discord and division amongst the body of Christ. And this is an Old Testament scripture with a New Testament uh, practicality that we need to understand. There's powerful worship there's peaceful membership there's pure fellowship now think about this the bible said that they went from house to house to house and they shared their meat now when you read this i don't quite understand what does that mean it means that not everybody had as much to bring as others not everybody had as much to offer as others but when they brought it to the table they were equal so many times, and I'm grateful this is not the case at this church, but as people, uh, you know, some feel like they're a little more important. They're a little bit more valuable. They're a little bit more significant. Maybe they've been here the longest. Maybe they've given more. Maybe they've, you know, whatever it is. And they say, well, you know, I have a, I have a higher level of authority. I have a higher level of importance in the church. The fact of the matter is in this early church, there was purity in their fellowship. They did not look at one another as being on different levels. They simply saw themselves at the foot of the cross looking up with, held, with hands held high. There's pure fellowship. But then there's one more thing that goes on. There is profitable discipleship. Profitable discipleship. It didn't say that they just came together and they worshiped. That was important. 
It didn't just say they came together and they ate and they had fellowship meals. That was important. But it says they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine. They understood that the church needed to be growing not only physically but spiritually and mentally and emotionally. And that could only happen from getting into the Word and allowing the Word to get in to them. Second base, our relationship with believers. Let me tell you, there are many people out there today, I talk to them every week and I invite them to church and they'll say something like this, I used to go to church, but something happened and I'm not going back. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? I remember as a little boy, my mom and daddy took me on a train trip one time and I thought it was going to be the most fun thing. I love trains, I had little model trains. And we were on that train and we were going around through the sort of the backwoods and the trees and the creek to the left. It was so pretty. And I was enjoying the ride. I've got pictures. Big old smile, my red hair and everything back when I had hair. And all of a sudden, that train came to a screeching halt. And these Indians jumped out of the woods and started hooping and hollering and shooting and carrying on. And man, I didn't know that was going to happen. We were at Tweetsie Railroad. I had no idea any of that was going to I thought we were just going for a leisurely train ride. Nobody told me it was going to get that rough. And I mean, I remember after that, mom and daddy want to go somewhere. And I'd say, I'm not getting on no more trains. Uh-uh, not after what happened last time. I became gun-shy of trains. Some of y'all been on a train with me from here to New York. Now, it's never been smooth. It's always been an adventure. When I get on a train, I want to tell you, friend, can I tell you, a lot of people get in the church and they think this is going to be fun. Man, I come on Sunday morning, we sing, we worship. It's a good thing. But the longer they're around the church, they realize sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it gets a little tough. Why? Because this is the one institution on planet Earth that the enemy will throw everything he has at. A couple months ago, God showed me an illustration. I was watching this family of ducks go by. It was a mama duck and a daddy duck and ten little ducklings. And they were the cutest things. The kids like to go and feed the ducks. You ever go feed the ducks? Well, a couple days later, here was the mama duck and the daddy duck, and there was only six little ducklings. I knew they were too little to fly off. Anyway, a couple days later, there was the mama duck and the daddy duck, and there weren't but two little ducklings. A few days later, there weren't but one little duckling. I hope that little duckling made it. We saw him getting bigger and bigger, so I think he did. And as I was thinking about that, I began thinking about a statistic that I heard some years ago, that for every ten preacher boys that enter the ministry. For every ten preacher boys that enter the ministry, one by one by one, nine of them will drop out and only one will survive to retirement. I asked somebody, I said, what happened to these ducks? What's going on with the ducks? And they said, you don't know? And I said, no, I don't know. And I know there's some little ones here today. Well, they didn't make it to adulthood, Okay. And I said, but what happened to them? And they said, well, usually one of three things. Now, don't miss this part, y'all. I think I got all your attention right here. All right. One of three things happened to those other little nine ducks. One of the things that happens is called a turtle. Big turtles, it's the chain of life. So that turtle's underneath the water and he's gone. 
No more Donald. He's gone. Okay? Everybody with me? I'm, these kids are going to have nightmares. That represents the things within the church. That represents the things within the church that will just literally snatch the life out of you. Man, I got on that committee and they told me everything was going to be good. In the first meeting we had, they got to throwing hymnals at one another. You know, no, not really. That don't happen. But it wasn't what I was expecting. I taught a class and I thought everybody would jump up and down and applaud and they didn't like my teaching. I decided I was going to join the choir and a week later they told me I couldn't sing. They hurt my feelings. And I'm not going back. That represents those things within the church that will pull you down. Okay? Then there's another predator. Saw this one day firsthand. Still got scars. That's these big old birds. They'll swoop down and whoop. There went Daffy. Okay. The birds represent the things of the world. The lures that will draw you away from the church. Temptation, relationships that are unhealthy, habits that you don't want to break. Uh, whatever it might be, just the lust of the flesh. Whatever the things of the world that will snatch you out. And you're gone. But there's one more predator. You got the turtles, the things within. You got the buzzards, the things without. But sometimes it's nothing more than that little duckling wasn't willing to follow mom and daddy and just wandered off his own way. And found himself in a perilous situation, one or the other. And when I think about that statistic of one of every ten pastors, you know, reaching retirement age... I wonder why is that? I mean, nine out of ten don't make it. What happened? And, and the statistics are probably similar to people who, who are in church that actually stay in church their whole life. I mean, how many people do you know right now, maybe your own family and friends that you say they used to go to church. I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Either a turtle or a bird or their own doing. There are so many things to pull us. And listen, friend, it's important that as a church, as the body of believers, we are, are together. There's oneness. There's unity. There's harmony. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we're absolutely in 100% uh, you know, agreement on, on the style and, and all of this. But at the end of the day, we get it that it's about the gospel. It's not about me and it's not about you, but it's about him. Second base, our relationship with other believers. I heard Adrian Rogers say this a number of years ago, talking about how difficult it can be at times uh, to live you know, amongst uh, you know, the church folks. And uh, we're all falling into this category at times. And he said this. He said, to dwell with saints, or to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, now that's another story. Friend, let's just admit, sometimes each of us can be a little hard to get along with. You might be here today and you might say, Preacher, sometimes you do things that I don't like. I agree. Sometimes I do things and when I look back at the end of the day, I think I didn't much like how I did that. But I have found in life there are no do-overs. Friend, when I stood there behind third base and I turned around and looked and my mama was the only person cheering, my daddy had his hands down in his lap. He couldn't believe the embarrassment I just brought upon the whole family. I realized I had done something fundamentally and terribly wrong, but at that point, the only thing I could do was turn around and go back to the dugout and try to get them the next time. Second base, our relationship 
with other believers. Number three, and we're moving quickly toward home. Third base is our relationship with lost people. We take it right into Acts chapter number three. Acts chapter number 2, Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit is within them. Latter part of Acts chapter 2, the church has come together. They're unified. They're in harmony. Great things are happening. Thousands of people are getting saved. But now look what happens in chapter number 3. And now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer, beginning at the ninth hour. And a certain man was lame from his mother's womb. In other words, he had been lame his whole life. And he was sitting outside of the gate called Beautiful there at the temple. And he was begging alms. He said, give me something. Just a a little morsel to eat, just a little something financially that will get me through another day. I like this part. And Peter, the Bible says, fastened his eyes on this lame man. And he looked at this man and said, listen, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I've got, which is the Holy Spirit of God, my relationship with Jesus Christ, I freely want to share that. I freely want to impart that to you. Such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. He lifted him up. And his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now think about that. He had never bore weight on those ankles or, or, or legs or feet. But immediately they had strength through Christ. And the Bible says he leapt up and he stood and he walked. And he entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. That is the progression of the gospel. We've been saved. We've gotten involved with the body of Christ and the edification of the believers. But now we move to third base, which is our relationship with lost people. Friend, I know we're about out of time, but don't miss this part. It's not enough just for us to get saved and go hang out with other saved people talking about how good it is that we're saved. But until we get out and share the gospel message, we've never truly fulfilled the will of God and the great commission and the call upon our lives to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere. What was the progression this particular day for Peter and, and, and also for John? If you look with me in verse 1, there was preparatory prayer. Look at your neighbor and say preparatory prayer and then wipe their brow off. All right, preparatory prayer. In other words, before they got out there, before they got to the temple, before they got to the layman, the Bible said they were going into a time of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer, not just God bless us in our worship. God bless us here at our church. God bless the message as we take it out into a lost and dying world. So there was preparatory prayer that made them ready for the encounters that they would have that day. Today you're already thinking about lunch and you're thinking about where you're going and, and what you're having. You know, maybe we need to start thinking, God, wherever I go today, put people in my path. God, put a lame man crippled from his mother's womb. God, put a blind man. God, put a tax collector in a tree. God, put a woman at the well. God, put somebody in my path so that I might be able to to share the good news of Christ. There was preparatory prayer, but there was more. There was a passionate pursuit. Notice that Peter literally fastened his eyes on him. We have a tendency to look away from folks who are lost, look away from people who are down, look away from people who are struggling. But God says we need to cast our eyes upon them, to concentrate upon them, to invest ourselves and invest some time with them. When was the last time you spent time with a lost person? Now, I realize there's supposed to be a level of separation. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. But listen, if we're never out there, we're never going to get the message out there. 
I admire and respect that level of separation. I was brought up and I was told that you stay as far away from people as you can that don't think exactly like you. But sometimes we need to get in presence of people, not to party with them, not to carouse with them, not to drink and hang out with them, but literally to show them Christ and our actions and and, and in our love for them. You know what lost people do not know about Christians? And that is the love of Christ that's supposed to be within us. Listen, we're good at getting together. And in fact, I get together a lot of times with pastors and the conversation begins and it's all about how bad the world is and how we need to be standing against all the bad stuff. Listen, I'm all for that. Uh, We're going to have alcohol referendums coming up. I'm against that. I'm going to stand against that. But if all we do is stand against stuff, then the world will never know what we stand for, who we stand for. There needs to be a passionate pursuit. Preached this morning earlier on the relationship of the Samaritan woman when she met Jesus that she instantly went into the city that she had come out of and she began telling people about Jesus. If we're truly saved, think about this, we get saved at first base, we go to second base, we get together with other believers to equip us so that we can go to third base and win the lost. But friend, I want to tell you also at third base there's one more thing and that is there's the parishioner's promise. The parishioner's promise, what does that mean? When we find the Great Commission scattered all throughout the New Testament, Jesus always has an addendum on the Great Commission. Don't miss this part. An addendum on the Great Commission, it is this, and lo, I am with you. And I will be with you. And I will be with you. In other words, when you go up and you're beginning to to witness and to share your faith with somebody, you are not alone. He's going to give you the words. He's going to give you the Spirit. All He's looking for is you to take that first step. It's so sad to think, but so many Christians will never lead one person to Christ. Let me close with this part, and that is home. Hebrews 11.10 says, our home is not here. We have a home whose builder and maker is God. You and I need to live with one eye on eternity. We need to have our mindset that the things of this world don't belong to us. Have you ever felt like you don't fit in today? We, we had an opportunity to go out west a, a few weeks back and spend a few days in San Diego. You think things are crazy here, y'all. You know, they're so crazy there, I can't even find words to describe them. This world is not my home. I shouldn't fit in. But I should have such a love for the home that is waiting for me that I want to take as many people with me when I go. Think about this as we close. What does it look like to round third and head to home? Number one, we have a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective. It's not about me making a name for myself down here. It's not about how much stuff I can collect or how much money I can make or how much power I can gain. But everything that I do is of a heavenly perspective. In life, in death, in how I treat other people, in in how I function daily. In other words, I have my eyes on the prize. How do I do that? By concentrating on the Word of God as our guide. And the will of God is our goal. Jesus prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
every day. God, I want to fulfill your will. God, I, I want your word to become part of me. God, I want to be able to walk without, with, without confusion in my life. I want to know what it is that you want me to do. I want to have a relationship with you that's not broken. But not only are we to have a heavenly perspective, we're also to have a heartily passion. Verse 31, Acts 4. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They didn't just speak their own commentaries or they didn't just speak their own opinions, their own words of judgment. But they spoke the word of God with boldness. Church, where are we? Have we been to Calvary for salvation, base one? Have we been to Pentecost for power? Are we out in the world loving on people in the name of Jesus, proclaiming boldly the word of God? And are we living in such a way that our eyes, our minds, our hearts are on glory? Last story. It was just before World War II. Pasadena, California, the Rose Parade. Beautifully decorated floats. You've probably seen it on TV. Going by and thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of spectators lining the streets, admiring the beauty of all of the floats. And all of a sudden, the parade came to a screeching halt. Marching bands began piling up on one another in mass confusion. Float drivers not knowing what to do until everything was at a standstill. The culprit of the problem was one particular float. The tractor pulling float had run out of gas and just conked out right there in the middle of the parade line. It wouldn't have been so bad except for the fact that it was the standard oil company's float. In other words, it was the gas company's float that ran out of gas. Now that's pretty embarrassing. If anybody should have had an ample supply of gas and of petroleum and of energy to last the entire parade route, it should have been the standard oil company's float. Friends, sometimes the church begins sputtering, begins to the, or gets to the point that we're no longer moving forward. But if anyone on planet Earth should have plenty of energy for the journey, it should be the blood-bought saints of the living God. He is an ample supply. He is the source of living water that will never run dry that well. I wonder today, have you been to first base? Is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ secure? Have you been born again? How's things at second base? How's our relationship with other believers? Are we courageous enough to make our way to third base and actually share our faith with lost people who desperately need to hear the gospel?
And are we living our life with the perspective of heaven? Father, thank you for the precious word of God.